and happy Black Business Month. Did you know that August was Black Business Month? Well, it is. And so I want to take today's episode and commemorate all the Black business owners. It is not easy being a business owner and especially a Black business owner. We have extra obstacles that we have to surpass every day just to stay afloat. So today I want to shout out all of my fellow Black business owners and let you know how appreciated you are. And I see you as a fellow black business owner. I know it's not easy. Every day there's something else, right? Just to stay afloat, just to be recognized, even by our own people most of the time, right? So please stay tuned. You definitely do not want to miss this episode. The discussions on this podcast is for informational purposes only. If you find yourself becoming triggered by any topic, please refrain from listening and reach out to your nearest emergency room or dial 911. If you desire to seek therapy in the future, please Google and find your nearest therapist in close proximity to you. Thank you. From facing a global pandemic to experiencing business challenges as a minority, this August recognizes Black-owned businesses for their outstanding service, innovation, and development in the economy and around the country. As store owners, entrepreneurs, artists, doctors, teachers, and more, their hard work and dedication helps this country grow into a more diverse nation. Join in on the celebration by advocating for Black-owned businesses this month and year-round. Black businesses, also known as African-American businesses, originated in the days of slavery before 1865. Emancipation and civil rights permitted businessmen to operate inside the American legal structure starting in the Reconstruction era and afterwards. The thriving Black business is a huge accomplishment given the very painful history of many Black businesses being decimated by races as a result of sheer hate and fear of Black advancement as we saw in the accounts of the 1921 Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre, where that left at least 300 people dead. The destruction of 1,200 median priced 
homes in Tulsa that would cost nearly $150 million in today's dollars and the loss of other assets like cash, commercial property, and personal belongings that could push that figure over $200 million. According to Wikipedia, losses included 191 businesses, a junior high school, several churches, and the only hospital in the district. The Red Cross reported that 1,256 houses were burned and another 215 were looted but not burned. August is National Black Business Month, and we recognize Black-owned businesses across the country. Black business owners account for about 10% of U.S. businesses and about 30% of all minority-owned businesses. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, that amounts to approximately 2 million companies owned by African Americans. Nearly 40% of Black-owned businesses are in the healthcare and social assistance, repair and maintenance, and personal and laundry services. Other categories include advertising firms, auto dealerships, consulting services, restaurants, barbershops, beauty salons, and more. Among cities, but you didn't know this, New York has the most Black-owned businesses in the U.S., followed by Atlanta. And those are two of my favorite cities outside of Los Angeles. Wow. The highest ratio of Black-owned businesses is in Washington, D.C., where 28% of all businesses are Black-owned. The growth of Black-owned franchise businesses has been explosive. In 2012, over 30% of franchise businesses were Black-owned, up from about 20% five years previously. In current news, the pop icon and Barbados Caribbean queen, Rihanna, is now a billionaire and is now worth $1.7 billion, making her the world's wealthiest female magician, all due to her good business acumen. Excuse me. Much of her fortune comes from her makeup and skincare brand, Fenty Beauty, And Fenty, if you didn't know, that's her real last name. And her real first name is Robin. So her name is Robin Fenty, if you just wanted to know where the name comes from. Um, She owns 50% of this company. The other half is owned by LVMH, which is a French luxury goods conglomerate that owns high-end brands such as Christian Dior, Givenchy, and Celine. Now, Fenty Beauty launched initially just as a makeup um, company in 2017. By the end of its first calendar year of operation, it had generated, wait for this, $550 million in revenue, making it more successful than any other celebrity-fronted brands such as Kim Kardashian's, KK Beauty, Kylie Jenner's, Kylie's Cosmetics, and Jessica Alba's Honest Company. Now, one thing that I like about Rihanna, she found a void, made it her niche, and she capitalized off of it. But let's go back. She found a void. She saw that there was a lack of representation for women of color in the makeup industry. She saw the need and she met it. And I'm so proud of her. Um, I think it's pure genius. So when I return... We're going to get into some more information about black businesses that you probably didn't know, give you a little bit of history and uh, just some more information in general. So please stay tuned. 
virus outbreak was declared a pandemic, hundreds of thousands of businesses have been forced to shut their doors. Some permanently. Entrepreneurs across America have had to face the uncertainty of the worst economic crisis in decades. While minority-owned businesses have been disproportionately affected, Black-owned businesses suffered the most, declining by twice the rate of white-owned businesses. Systemic problems surrounding the economic gap aren't new. African-American-owned firms have historically struggled to get started and stay afloat. Getting approved for loans and receiving federal support can be nearly impossible for many. From 2007 to 2017, more than half of Black-owned companies got turned down for loans, a rate twice as high as white-owned businesses, according to the Federal Reserve. In the summer of 2020, the murder of George Floyd sparked a renewed interest in the economic advancement of Black people. Businesses owned by people across the African diaspora saw huge surges in sales as people poured out in support. It was very bittersweet for me because almost immediately I saw a surge in sales during that time last summer. And so there was this part of me that was extremely excited to see, you know, so much support. On the other hand, it was very saddening that it had to come off of the heels of someone dying. So why do Black entrepreneurs continue to lag behind whites and other minority groups in terms of market share? And what will it take to keep them in business? It can be difficult for any business to succeed, but Black entrepreneurs have historically faced unique challenges. Congress passed the Freedmen's Borough Act in 1865, awarding compensation to freed slaves in the form of 40 acres in a mule. After President Lincoln's assassination, this bill, meant to help freed slaves gain financial stability, was rescinded. The legacy of slavery and Jim Crow left African Americans at a lasting economic disadvantage. Without equal footing, poverty continued to cycle through descendants of those slaves, creating a long history of wealth inequality. What you see is that the median level or the, the kind of 50th ranked white family in the U.S. has $170,000 in their net worth. When you compare that to the average black family in the U.S., what you see is that same, you know, comparable black family has $10,000. So these levels of inequality, you can see business ownership or business success is is kind of at that high end where we see just enormous amounts of inequality, especially when we start looking at revenues or employment size or the scale of the business. While America has a long history of Black entrepreneurship, it also has a history of racism and violence that systematically undermined efforts of African Americans to get ahead in the business world. Several exclusively Black communities were home to thriving businesses in the post-Reconstruction era. The Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma became widely recognized as Black Wall Street, an affluent Black community, ripe with businesses, banks, and educated professionals. But in June 1921, the entire town was bombed and burned to the ground by a white mob. And what happened was just that Black businesses did not have the money 
to recover after they were targeted, after they were um, attacked, after they were burned down to the ground and in the system of oppression, as well as the, um, these notions of fear. And so you have this this um, desire, of course, to rebuild, but with what resources? So it wasn't just individuals who were targeting businesses. You had the, the cops who refused to protect these businesses. You had uh, the judicial system that refused to prosecute. And so it just really wasn't safe for African-Americans to continue to be entrepreneurs in this climate. The hope for Black wealth in America burned, stripping families of their opportunity to create generational wealth. Having a family background in business is really important. So for example, if your parents are business owners, you're twice as likely to be a business owner yourself than someone who doesn't have parents that are business owners. Now, if you go back, you know, a generation or two generations, if you have low business ownership rates then, then it gets kind of passed along to future generations. And so that creates this kind of, kind of barrier that you don't have that family business experience. Real estate is one of the most common ways to build wealth in America, but discriminatory housing practices have historically kept Black Americans out of the game. Starting in the 1930s, the Federal Housing Administration refused to insure homes in African American neighborhoods. This is known as redlining. What would be the uh, reaction of the community to a Negro family moving in? Oh, I don't think they'd like it. Black people were kept out of the newly developing suburban neighborhoods and pushed into urban housing projects. Modern day redlining still exists. According to 2020 data from the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act, black applicants are denied mortgage loans at a rate 80% higher than white applicants. These events lead the groundwork for the increasing wealth gap in America. It is still more difficult for African-American entrepreneurs to get and stay in business. Have a seat on the virtual couch. Get it, girl. Let's go. RLJ Lodging Trust is one of the largest publicly owned Black businesses reported total assets of $5.92 billion in June 2020. I'll go into private versus public businesses a little bit later. But RLJ Lodging Trust was founded in 2015 by Robert Louis Johnson. And you probably have heard that name before. He's an American entrepreneur and co-founder of BET, which was acquired by Viacom in 2001. Johnson is also the former majority owner of the Charlotte Bobcats. Johnson's companies have counted among the most prominent African-American businesses in the late 20th and early 21st centuries. Now, per the website, RLJ Lodging Trust is a self-advised, publicly traded real estate investment trust focused on owning premium branded, focused service, and compact full-service hotels. The company's portfolio consists of 101 hotels with approximately 22,400 rooms located in 23 states and the District of Columbia and an ownership interest in one unconsolidated hotel with 171 rooms. Per the website, it states, our hotels operate under well-recognized global brands, including Courtyard by Marriott, Residence Inn by Marriott, Hilton Garden Inn, Homewood Suites by Hilton, Hyatt Place, Wyndham, and Embassy Suites. And we maintain strong relationships with these leading franchisers. The company is self-advised and self-administered. 
Maryland Real Estate Investment Trust and is traded on the New York Stock Exchange under the stock symbol RLJ. Now let's get into public versus private. Many of the world's most successful businesses are publicly traded companies. With that said, some very successful companies choose to stay private to avoid the scrutiny and regulations that come with going public, and rightfully so. Since publicly, I'm sorry, privately held companies aren't required to meet the Securities and Exchange Commission's SEC strict filing regulations and requirements, it can be difficult to get specific information regarding a privately held business's success. Public companies, however, must comply with SEC rules. That allows us to learn a little bit more about them. Unfortunately, the SEC only requires businesses to disclose financial performance data, which wouldn't include the shareholders' demographics needed to ascertain whether or not a company is Black-owned. So we wouldn't know if a company was Black-owned if they're public or private, to be honest with you, because they're not um, required to do so. They're not required to disclose that information. Now, we all know that Black businesses still continue to struggle, right, Um, due to systematic racism. We know it still exists, even though people want to act like it doesn't, but it does. Um, With that said, I want to give you some numbers, some stats. So only 637 million, 769 of the 11 billion 710 million 360 businesses in the United States in April 2020 were black owned. That's just 5.45% of businesses. Yet the 42.1 million black people living in the US at the end of 2019 comprise 12.8% of the total population. When you get to public companies, the numbers are even smaller. Of the 3,071 public companies in the U.S. reported by the Wall Street Journal in 2017, we found eight Black-owned companies. That comes to less than 2% of public companies. Now, after the break, I want to go on in a little bit about what makes a business Black-owned. How do we know a business is Black-owned? How was that defined? So please stay tuned. You don't want to miss. I have a lot more information to to provide you uh, in this episode. It's very interesting um, learning more about Black businesses and how much we just have so much further to go. I want, if you're listening to this, I want, if you're thinking about owning a business, please do so. Um, As you can see from the stats that I just read to you, we still are at the low end of the totem pole. So stay tuned for more. I have a lot more to give you after this break. So how is a business defined as Black-owned? Well, I'm glad you asked. According to Investopedia.com, the National Minority Supplier Development Council, better known as NMSDC, defines a minority business enterprise as a business that is at least 51% owned by United States citizens who are Asian, Black, Hispanic, and or Native American. 
or in the case of a publicly owned business, at least 51% of the stock is owned by one or more such individuals. So the management and daily operations should be controlled by the minority owner or owners or shareholder shareholders. The NMSDC further clarifies that a black owned business is one whose owner is a US citizen of African descent, which would include both African-Americans and African immigrants. Based on the most recent U.S. Census survey of business owners, 96% of Black-owned businesses were non-employer firms compared to 80% of all small businesses. Non-employer firms are defined as businesses that have have no em- uh, paid employees and are subject to federal income tax. So they um, have had no paid employees and are subject to federal income taxes. Okay. And these firms are generally small and have minimum economic impact. They are left out of most other Census Bureau business statistics, making it difficult to acquire a full picture of black business landscape in the U.S. Now, the remaining 4% of black owned businesses are employer firms. Now, according to the Census Bureau annual business survey, 32% of black owned employer firms were in the healthcare and social service sector. Now, community-based services is something that goes all the way back to segregation, if you didn't know. And, you know, during that time, people couldn't just readily go, um, you know, and open a business downtown if they were a Black person. And so they had to look at businesses that they could operate. So some of these very... um, community-based businesses have grown into major corporations today. And three of the eight top business-owned, Black-owned public companies we identify are in the healthcare sector. So yes, so three of the top um, Black-owned public companies, they are in the healthcare sector. Let you know that there's a lot of money in healthcare. And as you will see, when I come back from this break, I'm going to list three of those healthcare um, companies And when you hear their revenue, yeah, their revenue is um, in assets, you are going to be blown away. So please stay tuned. The killing of George Floyd by a white police officer in May 2020 renewed interest in supporting the economic advancement of African Americans. Spreadsheets and lists of Black businesses circulated all over social media. Apps designed to help people find Black-owned businesses, like the BBLK app, took off. According to Apptopia, downloads of Black-owned business directory apps saw increases as much as 44%. We are trying to promote an anti-racist society for you not to support a Black-owned business means that you're part of the problem. And so therefore, to be part of the solution, you must be an intentional. I don't think it's okay anymore. I think that's what the summer um, indicated. It's not okay anymore to just continue to go about your life and say, you know, well, I, you know, in my heart, I support uh, equity and equality and diversity and inclusion. No, I think it's very clear that you need to be intentional, that you need to make an effort to support a Black-owned business. Big companies rolled out ads and sent statements marking their commitment to diversity. But some activists felt That wasn't enough. A social media initiative called the 15% Pledge called on big corporations to dedicate 15% of their shelf space to Black-owned businesses. Major retailers like Macy's, Sephora, and Bloomingdale's have signed the pledge. 
and some big brands took an extra step and released new features. In June 2020, Google My Business rolled out a feature that allows businesses to identify if they are Black-owned. Yelp added a similar feature. Uber Eats announced it would waive delivery fees for Black-owned businesses through the end of the year. It worked. Amid all the online support, Black businesses saw huge spikes. have seen a lasting impact. So let's talk about the three companies that I alluded to that are in the healthcare sector that are very successful public companies. So the first of the three is American Shared Hospital Services, also known as AMS, which was founded in 1980 and um, its headquarters are in um, San Francisco, California. And it operates within the technological side of the healthcare industry by providing equipment to hospitals and medical centers. Now, wait for this, the assets were $52.34 million as of September 2020, with a total revenue of $13.23 million as of September 20. That's a lot of money, you guys. Okay, the second is Axum Therapeutic Headquarters, and they are located in New York City. And this is um, a biopharmaceutical firm founded in 2012 by Dr. Harriet Thibodeau. Now, Axum focuses on the development of novel therapies for managing central nervous system disorders um, for which treatment options are limited. Now, some of these conditions consist of migraines, narcolepsy, fibromyalgia, major depressive disorder and Alzheimer's disease related agitation in addition to smoking sensation treatment. Now smoking sensation treatment is basically treatments that help one to stop smoking and we hate smokers right now. We don't hate smokers. We hate smoking. <laughs> and that's a joke. I'm not judging anyone but I don't like cigarette smoke. I think it's disgusting. But anyway, the total um, assets for Axum um, as of September 2020 was 203 million point, um, I'm sorry, two, yeah, 203 million dollars. And the total revenue of as of September 2020 is actually not listed. Okay, so the total assets of um, as of 2020 was 203 million and the total revenue is not listed. Wonder what they're trying to hide. Just kidding. <laughs> it's not listed. I don't know why, but it's just not listed. And the last of those is Global Blood Therapeutics. Now, this company was founded in 2011 and the headquarters are in San Francisco again. See, we have some good things in San Francisco, in California, period. But you should know San Francisco is basically a headquarters of um, a lot of technological advancement being that Silicon Valley is right there. And that's why the cost of living is so expensive because there's a lot of money <laughs> up there, trust me. And uh, this is also a biopharmaceutical company. 
and uh, it leads to charge with sickle cell disorder. So it does a lot of treatment and research to help with that disorder. And if you don't know what sickle cell anemia is, it's basically when our blood cells sickle, they have the shape of a sickle. And so it makes it hard to deliver oxygen to various parts of the body, which is very painful for people who suffer from this disorder. And it leaves them in the hospital for a long time, sometime, you know, when they have, when they're having an episode. Now, our normal blood cells, they are circular, which makes it um, easy to pass to our capillaries and things of that sort. Um, but of course, I mean, like I said, in this case, the blood cells are secular in shape, um, which cause a lot of pain. So I really have a lot of um, sympathy and empathy for these individuals who suffer from that. Um, if you don't know T-Boz, if you want to follow her and get some of her, um, her stories, she suffers from, um, from sickle cell anemia. And she has, I mean, even discuss how she almost died, you know, several times. Um, yeah, it's very life altering. So if you know anyone who has this disorder, please, you know, they have a lot of um, um, organizations that you can provide funds to and donate to. So just wanted to throw that out there. Um, the total assets for Global Blood Therapeutics as of September 2020 was $691.26 million. Wow. And the total revenue as of 2020, September, was $82.51 million. Again, there's a lot of money in the health industry. So if you're thinking about a career move or just for some of my young uh, couch potatoes out there thinking about an industry to get into health, it's never going to go away. I even said that about mental health. You know, during the pandemic, we had a lot of individuals who lost their jobs. And in my industry, we it was just a, like a boom, <laughs> like seriously, it's not enough of us to really go around how much work is out there. So I'm really blessed to be in such a um, an industry that, you know, I'm always going to be needed. And so um, mental health is part of the health industry. Health industry, mental health is not going anywhere because as other things get less and less and when there's pandemics, um, you know, people are getting more sick um, physically and mentally. And so People in the health industry, um, we're hot commodities. I will say that I'm very blessed to have chosen such a wonderful, um, impactful industry because it's very impactful. It's very rewarding intrinsically as well. So um, I want to take another break and I want to discuss some challenges facing Black businesses as we probably have our own personal stories. We probably know of individuals who have suffered, but um I want to um, discuss this with some stats and things of that sort as well. So please stay tuned. We're not going away just yet, okay? So please stay tuned. I will be back shortly. About 6.5 million businesses are launched in the United States each year. There are six different types of businesses to file under. Each of these defines how a company will handle taxes, liabilities, ownership, and finances. There are 30.2 million small businesses in the U.S. They make up about 99% of all businesses, but only a fraction of them survive. 20% of small-owned businesses fail by the first year, 30% by the second, 50% by the fifth, and by the tenth year, 
a staggering 70% of businesses have shut off their lights. Some of the most common challenges, though, that do precipitate a business closure relate to you know, it, fundamental issues, you know, lacking uh, a firm business plan and a concrete business plan with real clear strategic direction and getting some of the, the fundamentals in place at, at the onset. For minorities, the numbers can be even more daunting. Eight out of 10 Black-owned businesses fail within the first 18 months. And despite making up 17.6 and 13.2% of the population, Hispanics and Blacks make up 5.8 and 2.1 of all employer businesses, or in other words, businesses with paid employees. For reference, white employers make up 88% of overall sales and control 86.5% of U.S. employment, according to the Small Business Administration. Lack of capital is the biggest challenge for African-American small business owners, and studies show that Black-owned firms have weaker ties with banks. According to a 2019 survey by the New York Fed, fewer than 1 in 10 Black non-employer firms have a recent relationship with a bank, compared with 1 in 4 white-owned non-employer firms and less than 47% of financing applications filed by African-American business owners get approved. According to evidence from the survey, the discrepancies aren't due to Black entrepreneurs applying for financing at a lower rate. Black-owned firms apply for bank financing just as much as white-owned firms, if not more. 28% of Black-owned non-employer firms applied for financing in 2018 compared to 25% of white non-employers. The difference? Black applicants are denied at a higher rate. They tend to be concentrated in industries that require um, less startup costs um, and, and less, are less capital intensive. Um, but on top of that, so that, that setback, has an impact as well on uh, the ability to secure bank loans lines of credit because, of course, in those cases, when you're an entrepreneur, you're starting out, what are you going to pledge? You're going to pledge your personal assets, uh, whether it's your house or other types of collateral. And so if you're starting out where, you know, you're, you're at a disadvantage there, that's going to create headwinds uh, for you in securing external capital for your business. In the summer of 2020, a study by the National Community Reinvestment Coalition found a disparity in the way Black and white loan applicants were treated. The study highlights one example where a Black applicant was turned away for not having an account with the bank. That same bank encouraged a white applicant with a similar profile and credit history to open an account and offer to send PPP information. Fear plays a part too. Federal Reserve data shows that one in four Black-owned firms reported foregoing applying for credit, with 56% of those firms stating that they did not want to accrue debt and 60% indicating that they felt like they would be turned down if they applied. For a long period of time, didn't even try to go to um, bank lenders because I knew that on file, my application wouldn't be as strong as someone who maybe who wasn't an entrepreneur and who hadn't been in business for, you know, two years at the time or whatever. My application wasn't strong. And so I'm sure that lots of entrepreneurs go through that as well. COVID-19 has exacerbated some of the issues facing the Black community. Black Americans are dying at a rate of three times that of white Americans. 
In addition to having a disproportionate death rate, African-American entrepreneurs have had to close their doors at more than twice the rate of their white counterparts. Black owners declined by 41% between February and April 2020, compared to 17% of white owners. As coronavirus continues, many Black business owners are pessimistic about being able to survive. A CNBC survey in July 2020 showed that only about half of minority small business owners believe their business can last for more than a year under current conditions. And the numbers prove that another shutdown would disproportionately affect Black owners. 58% of small business owners say they remained open through stay-at-home orders. But Black small business owners fall short at 47%. That is in part because Black entrepreneurs are overrepresented in industries that are most affected by stay-at-home orders. According to a report from McKinsey & Company, 40% of revenues from Black-owned businesses are in the five most vulnerable sectors. That includes hospitality, retail, and food service, compared to 25% of revenues from all U.S. businesses. They also received less federal support, including the rescue loans provided through the Paycheck Protection Program. The administration has prioritized big businesses over small businesses and the American workers that Congress intended to protect. The administration needs to refocus the Paycheck Protection Program. If you or someone you love is having thoughts of suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. It is available 24 hours, seven days a week. You are not alone. This is your girl, Letitia, coming to you from the virtual couch. I want to take a little bit of your time today to discuss how to find the right therapist. Now, like with anything, your hairstylist, your gardener, your medical doctor, it may take a few tries before you find the right fit. Finding the right therapist is no different. So stay the course and don't give up. Also, I want to empower you to ask questions. Do not feel like you're being intrusive by asking questions because guess what? This is the person that's going to lead you and guide you towards your healing. And this is a very important partnership. So I will say this even as a therapist myself, if a therapist becomes offended by any questions that you may have, just like with any other individual that I discussed before, like your doctor, your gardener, whoever, someone, you know, working on your home, if they become offended, you're probably not going to hire them, right? Exactly. Your therapist is no different. So don't feel offended. Don't be offended by the degrees and the licenses. And yes, all those hard things we worked for, but we're here for you. And so it is your right to ask every question you need to ask to make sure it is the right fit for you. And again, it may take a few tries. And again, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or that therapist is a bad person either. It just means that, you know what, they may not be the right person to guide you on your journey. 
Um, so I want to leave you with a, free, a few resources. Uh, psychologytoday.com is a resource where you can view various therapists and you can even input your area by your zip code, your city, and your state to find the therapist nearest you. You can also go to therapyforblackgirls.com and therapyforblackmen.org. Please seek these resources out. They are awesome. There are some wonderful very experienced therapists on these sites, some of which are my beautiful colleagues and I know the hard work that they do and they are waiting to hear from you. Okay, so I'm not gonna take any more of your time because I know you can't rush to, can't wait to get to that computer, right? And search out that therapist. So I'm not going to say anything further. If you want to, Tell me about your experience. I would love to hear about it. Please email me at virtualcouchpodcast1 at gmail.com. And happy hunting. Take care. Y'all enjoy the break? Now find your spot on the virtual couch. And get ready to hear our girl Letitia drop some more gems on ya. Drop some more gems on Letitia. Letitia? Drop some more gems on them. Now let's discuss the challenges facing Black-owned businesses. In 1992, there were 621,912 Black-owned businesses in the U.S. By 2012, that number significantly rose to 2.58 million, before decreasing again to over 1.8 million in 2020. Now, periods of ups and downs are very common to all businesses, and we all know that, right? But Black entrepreneurs continue to encounter unique obstacles that makes it difficult to reach the same level as our white counterparts, or not just even white counterparts, but even other groups such as, um, you know, individuals of Asian descent or even African descent for that um, matter. Um, some of these problems that I will be discussing are very unique to the Black American experience. Now, some of the obstacles that um, I'm going to be speaking of and that we probably even know personal, startup capital. You know, if any successful business that startup, um, startup capital is very important, um, having fewer useful connections and support and just having continual cash flow. How are you gonna keep the lights on, right? Now let's start with capital. Approximately 44% of black business owners rely on cash to fund their business compared to 37% for the average small business owner. Cash is a riskier means of financing a business as it dips into funds also needed for essential items in paying bills compared to a commercial loan, which allows business owners to retain much of their liquid assets. But getting access to loans, you know, isn't easy. Now, in 2017, banks were twice as likely to provide business loans to white entrepreneurs than their black counterparts. Conversely, there were also about three times as likely to follow up with white applicants than with more qualified black business owners. In 2014, 
28.4% of black entrepreneurs found that their profits were negatively impacted by their access to capital, while 22.6% were themselves negatively impacted by the actual cost of capital. As reported by the business journals, since peaking prior to the two, um, 2008 financial crisis, the annual number of loans to Black-owned businesses through the U.S. Small Business Administration's program decreased by 84% compared to a 53% decline in loans awarded overall. The report found an overall trend of significantly less lending to businesses in Black-majority neighborhoods compared to white-majority ones. Those numbers are staggering, and it lets us see the Black business owner is just not winning out here. Now, I know we may know people personally and say, well, no, we're thriving, but we're talking on a global stage, on a national stage um, first, but even on a global stage. But these um, stats are more nationwide. Um, we still have a lot of catching up to do, right? And a lot of it is not our fault, of course. It's because how the system is set up. Set up. We have systematic racism in place. And so let me go a little bit further and talk about um, connections, you know, because Black business owners do not have um, connections and, if you will, um, are invited to the seats at the table with the with the big boys, right? So let's talk um, more about that. Black business owners have less access to types of mentor and peer network networks that can help a business grow, and they are less likely to have family connections that can help. Now, when I speak of generational wealth, I'm also speaking of the knowledge and nuggets of wisdom that one um, needs to be able to manage um, and so that it can be passed down and perpetuated throughout generations. So wealth is not only the financial, um, you know, assets, you know, the money, if you will, but it's also the knowledge that we're passing down. Um, you know, for instance, you have a father that owns a business and his son is working there with him and he's showing them the ropes because one day he's not going to be here. That wisdom is priceless, you know, is priceless because what good of passing a business down if the person don't know how to run and they wind up losing it and selling it, what was all that work for, right? So it's so imperative that we establish and pass down generational wealth, um, and form networks of other business owners as well. So even outside of our family, you know, um, helping others thrive, teaching them, you know, what we know, and just establishing a strong network of other people that, um, you know, to help them own a business and, and survive and thrive. I recall during the peak of this pandemic, different ones were, um, joining what we call susus. And if you don't know what that is, it's when everyone is contributing to a pool and that pot of money rotates where someone each month or however you want to distribute the money is getting something out of that pot, but everyone is contributing to the pot. Now you have a lot of individuals who come here from other countries and they do this and they do it well. And, um, you know, that's something that maybe we want to incorporate, but I will say this, and I'm not ashamed to say it, we need to trust each other more. And 
not just saying that we need to trust each other more. We need to be more trustworthy as well because ain't nobody got time to be putting their money in a pot for somebody to be trying to steal it, <laughs> right? So let's just not be, you know, naive as well. Um, in business, number one thing that I look at is integrity. And when I say integrity, I look at things that they do outside of the business because it shows me your character. It shows me things that you are liable to do and I can't put anything past you. Um, I say this all the time. Like I, I look at how people treat me when they don't need me. Let me say that again for people in the back. When people want me to patronize their business, I look for how they treat me when they don't need me because that tells me a lot about your character. Um, I treat people good across the gamut and I will honestly say that I'm very blessed. Um, I'm not wanting for anything, I can definitely say, and I know it's because of my heart. And so I don't wanna go off on a tangent, but in business, you definitely uh, need to be mindful of how you treat people because you're a walking billboard. Your business, whether you know it or not, you are a walking billboard. You're always marketing your business through your character. You really are. Um, it's been many times that I've received um, business leads from people just liking me and saying that, you know, you light up a room, you know, you're so nice, you're so bubbly. And I didn't say anything about what I do. And I received business opportunities, business partnerships that way. So I just wanted to say that. Um, one of the other things that I think we need to start incorporating, this is just my thing, and I've seen people do it a little bit more these days, is having business showers. You know how like individuals have baby showers? Have business showers. When your friend or family member is starting a business, how about come together and have a business shower? What are some of the things that they need? Just even office supplies, those things cost. Pens and um, paper and um, office equipment, uh, whether it's a computer, you wanna donate or buy someone a computer. If you're a fellow business owner, that's only a tax write-off anyway. You can write that off. Um, yeah, so that's something else, you know, giving gifts, but this is all to build your business network. So this is basically what I'm getting at. Um, helping a new business owner, if you have just some words of wisdom, you know, that's priceless again. Okay. These are just all ways to support and we can be as creative with our support as possible. Um, if you have any other ideas, email them to me. You know, I would love, or if you want to use my voice message app, um, yeah, my voice message feature, not app. I don't know where that came from. Um, add it on there and I'll add it to one of my, um, one of my episodes. I would love to hear from you. So, um, yeah, let's go on with some stats. So in 2017, a survey conducted by Prosperity Now stated that um, well, they found that 23.3% of white firm owners gained prior work experience as part of a family member's business compared to 12.6% of black entrepreneurs. See the gap there? Um, yeah. So we need to share our wisdom. You know, I think a lot of times, um, you know, in the black community, we always think someone is out to get us. No or someone is gonna do better than us. What is for you is gonna be for you, okay? For me, my talent, my shine, my gift, my personality, 
No one, even if they tried, can be like me, okay? Uh, many have tried, but they have uh, failed. <laughs> Miserably, I might add, but uh, that's a whole nother story. But anyway, let's get to cash flow. Um, black firms are more frequently found in industry with a lower earning potential. Now these industries include, and this is not to minimize anyone's talent or industry, um, beauty salons, childcare, home healthcare services, janitorial services, and barbershops. Now, even these sectors, you know, white businesses still to earn more <laughs> in these sectors than competing black owned businesses. And I wonder why. Meanwhile, black businesses in more lucrative sections, including physician and mental health offices, hey, hey, plumbing and heating slash AC contractors, offices of lawyers and full service restaurants earn less than white counterparts. Now, this is not saying each and every one, okay? This is just saying across the board on average. Now, overall, black owned firms average $58,000 in revenue in 2017. White businesses average 546,000. You see the gap? There's a huge wealth gap there. Now having a successfully thriving black business is a feat, I might add. The normal highs and lows of owning, earning and owning, I will say not earning, owning a business, um, is definitely magnified by systematic racism. Now, during the COVID-19 pandemic, you saw many businesses on a whole struggling and even more so the black business, given the other things that I've just, um, you know, I just discussed here. So, you know, with that said, all of this can definitely take a toll on the psyche. Um, and it can be very traumatic. And I know in other episodes, I, I spoke on how, um, the symptoms of trauma. And this is no different. You know, owning a business itself can be very, very um, taxing to the psyche and just to the body. You know, owning a business is, you know, being an entrepreneur is really no days off, <laughs> really. Um, if, if you really want a thriving business and you want to know what's going on in every crook and cranny like I do, um, especially if you have um, employers, you definitely want to know and have, um, you know, hands-on, you really want to know what's going on with your baby. I look at a business as being your baby. It's something that's your birth and you're just not going to just leave it into the hands of just anyone, right? So um, with that said, you know, take care of yourself. It definitely, you can definitely have system, um, symptoms of um, depression, anxiety, um, overwhelming fear, especially if you have money woes. And I will say this, anytime you have a business, there will be some money woes. People don't tell you this, but you will. And that's just um, that's just a part of life. That's just a part of being a business owner. You're going to lose. You're going to gain. And sometimes we have to check in and make sure our psyche is strong enough to be able to deal with those things. And me as a therapist, I will say, please, this is my good old shameless plug. Please go seek therapy. Um, you know, this whole entire platform, I'm here to provide you with episodes to all erase the stigma therapy. And so I, I wanted to show you how no matter what topic I discuss on here, it all goes back to having good mental health. 
So if you want to have a thriving business, you can't really have a thriving business when your um, mental health is down the drain, right? And you also want to have a strong um, mental um, foundation and be resilient because of, again, of the highs and lows and and the different challenges that you will face as a business owner. So um, again, build a very positive, healthy network of individuals, like-minded individuals to help you through this journey. And with that said, have a very happy um, Black Business Month, you know, support a Black business, Um, you know, do things and, you know, have people support your business. So with that said, I thank you so much for listening in. Share this episode with Black business owners and just with people in general, those of you who want to start a business. So you can see, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, but it's doable. It's fun. I wouldn't trade it for the world. So with that said, God bless you. And I will be talking to you from the virtual couch very soon. God bless you. Things could get you through this, man. That's patience and persistence. We all aspire, we all have the same emotions. You know, no matter who you are, where you're from, we all have the same emotions. You know, we all want to be successful. You know, we all have the same fears of failure. We all have feelings of abandonment. We all, you know, want love. You have to have such a strong belief in yourself that you can quiet out all the outside noise because that's, you're gonna need that on every step of the way. You know, there are people that, that are projecting their fears and their shortcomings and failures on you. And you have to be very careful, you know, with that. People telling you can't do that. Why can't I? You know, because they may have tried or they don't believe that they can do it. And it's not really about you, it's about what they feel and their fear inside. So you have to be strong enough and resilient to believe in whatever it is you're trying to do. Every human being has genius level talent. There are no chosen one. God has given every single person genius level talent. You just have to find what it is that you are great at and then tap into it. First of all, I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm constantly curious and always trying to evolve as a human being. Right. That's that's one thing, trying to learn myself and learn my faults and learn the things I don't like and learn, you know, whatever insecurities that we have as human beings. People look at you strange saying you changed like you worked that hard to stay the same, like you're doing all this for a reason. And what happens most of the time, people change. People change around you because they start treating you differently because of your success. So you are changing. You don't change who you are, the core of who you are, the things you believe, the things you love, and the things you die for, and your principles. You don't change that, but you're gonna change who you are. You're gonna change, you know, you can't do the same things. You you can't hang on the corner. Some people may not be comfortable with that. I'm not really concerned with noise because I'm playing for for a long game. I, I I see 10 years down the road. Every now and again, I step outside of myself and I just, Look at my life objectively. Sometimes I find myself saying, who is that dude right there? Like, if you'd have told me 20 years ago that my life would be like this, I'm not sure I would have believed you. I heard people say I'm the luckiest man on the planet. I like to think I stay ready. 
A wise man once told me luck isn't some mystical energy that dances around the universe randomly bestowing people with satisfaction and joy. You create your own luck. My uncle, he was telling me like, I'm never gonna, my uncle said I never sold a million records. I sold a million records like a million times. Are you crazy? How are you gonna do that? How? You know, I'm sure there's things that I do now that he, he can't believe that I was able to accomplish. He couldn't even see it at the time. So he was just projecting, putting his fears on me. Right? How, did, how do you arrive at that point? You gotta also look at that. You have to look at that. You gotta look at the environments and places we live in and how things are set up and how things are structured and how we're always last on the totem pole, even from our schooling to our roads to, you know, everything that, that all the obstacles that's placed in front of us. Even our living condition. You live in a project. Someone lives here, 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 and here. You know, you have to deal with all these different type of personalities. You have, you're in the box. Someone's above you, below you, to the right of you, and to the left of you. And every day you have to manage that circle. So, live, that's like living dormant. Life is about balance, right? You have to have some type of balance. You have to, like, time for work and it's time for play and if you don't allow these two things to coexist you have an imbalance but it's not it's not simple to do with all the pressures to succeed and all the pressures to once you succeed to stay there you have a belief in yourself and some and sometimes in most cases it's a naivete about who you are and what you can contribute to um to the game belief in oneself and knowing who you are, I mean, that's the foundation of everything great. The truth about talent is, uh, first, that it's God-given. When you want to unleash that talent, your mind lets it go. You know, because it's there. You have to have the belief that when you uh, draw from that well of talent, that it's going to be there. You have to have that belief that when you go into the basket, no one that's on that court can stop you. That's an individual thing. I'm not going to let anybody speed up my process. I don't care what's happening out there. That's, that's, that's the great thing about, you know, having ultimate confidence in yourself is it doesn't matter what's happening. I don't care what's happening. I don't care what you're on or this person's on. This is what I like. They have that thing that, you know, that belief that they go, you can only do one thing. You know, we, we, we don't, we don't have that. We don't, we're not inflicted with that disease. I, I personally don't believe anybody could could stop me. I, I really, that's just how I believe. It was going to be, I was coming, you know, I, I was destined to be here. And it just, it just is what it is. My mom bought me my first boom box and my mom's friend bought me my first notebook. It was like this, this makeshift notebook of papers with no line. It was a green book with uh, these little pins that you bend down on each side. And when I first started, making music and that's when I first realized that you know I was tapping into an emotion and I knew there was small pockets of people all across the country that I spoke to directly but I didn't have the vehicle to get to them you know I didn't have a record uh, label at the time so I tried to get a, a record deal and I couldn't get a record deal the record company would beat my bridge to them and they didn't give me that bridge so it was a very important part of my career that we didn't give up right there, that belief in myself and belief that I had something to offer. So we built our own bridge and, you know, I started my own record company. I had a really outside dream of being a millionaire by the time I was 30 years old. I actually calculated with uh, 
what it would take and all these different things. And I had no idea, I had no plan of how I was going to arrive at this point. Other than this very distant outside chance of being a basketball player, which was very far because I, I never played any organized sports. I never like really played on the team. Back then, that opportunity was very limited because rap wasn't what it is today. And my small circle of friends would say these stories, right? These short stories. So it was a, a hobby for everybody. I think. I remember first time seeing Sugar Hill on Soul Train. I was like, "What are they doing on there?" It was like shocking to me. Like, why are they on TV? Like, for doing that. As an artist, if you ain't inspired to work, and you start thinking, once you start thinking, you start forcing music. It's never good. My feeling is. Whenever inspiration will find you, you have to find it. And I wish I could say we were geniuses and say we're going to start our own company. You know, I, that's not what happened. You know, in the beginning, we went to every single label and every single label shut their door on us. Um, the, the genius thing that we did was we didn't give up. We didn't say because these guys, you know, we use that what do they know approach. You know, we we didn't give up at that point. I think that. You know, that was the genius thing we did. We started selling our own CDs and we built our own buzz and then the record company came back to us. So now we had um, uh, a different negotiation. You know, it wasn't the same artist um, label relationship. Now we retain ownership in our own company and uh, it was the best thing for us. Discipline as well, the discipline to not get caught up in the moment. You know, music is like stocks. Too. You know, there's the hot thing of the moment. You know, there's this hot electro sound or the hot auto-tune voice or the hot uh, whatever, whatever's new and exciting. And, you know, you know, people tend to make emotional decisions based on that. They don't stick with what they know. This is who I am. This is, what, you know, this is what I do. And then they, you know, jump on this next hot thing. And, you know, it's, it's not for you. So for me, just having the discipline and having the confidence that, and, and who I am, you know, and if I go into a studio and, and if I find my truth of the moment, there, there, there are a number of people in the world that can relate to what I'm saying and, and it's going to um, buy into what I'm doing, you know, not because it's the new thing of the moment, but because it's my genuine emotions, it's how I feel, it's how I articulate the world. He just affirmed to me that instincts is really important in business. You know, I, I didn't go to any proper business school or any, uh, read any super, uh, follow any manuals like the record business 101 or anything like that. I just pretty much followed my instincts. And he just reaffirmed that for me that, you know, your instincts are very important to you. I hope you enjoyed your time on the virtual couch with our girl Letitia on Letitia's virtual couch. You did that, Letitia.
Letitia's virtual couch. 